Please be aware the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and in some cases offensive. Therefore, listener discretion is advised. Hey, there is a very adult content ahead, and you know what? You've been warned. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. As always, I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the weird, wonderful, unexplained, eerie, scary, and downright unbelievable. There will be tales of ghosts, murder, supernatural beings, and unexplained mysteries. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, relax, and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, we're going to be exploring the Balleroy Mansion in Chestnut Hill, Philadelphia. So, this is a listener request. A listener who, by the way, claimed that I didn't like the East Coast and only did stories from the West Coast. So, Dave, this one is for you, dude. But please note that I've done previous episodes in places like, oh, Georgia and South Carolina, which, by the way, happen to be on the East Coast. So, I really don't have a coast preference. So, anyways, as always, we will be playing our drinking game. But remember, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. That's right, because I'm a loser, so get over it. So as for what we're going to be drinking tonight, well, I myself am leaning towards Yungling Lager, since they are out of Pottsville, Pennsylvania. But hey, whatever whets your fancy, whatever you feel like doing, it floats your boat. But whatever you guys want, it's fine with me. Alright, now for the game part. Every time I say chestnut, that's going to be a single shot. And every time I say Jefferson, that'll be a double shot. All right, now that we have the business end out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's dark enigma and the most haunted home in America, Balleroy Mansion. The Balleroy Mansion in Chestnut Hill, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, is a 32-room estate located in the historical and affluent Chestnut Hill section of Philadelphia. It has obtained the title of Most Haunted Home in America due to its alleged infestation of spirits, ghosts, jinns, demons, angels, and other supernatural beings. My, my, my. The mansion and its separate carriage house were originally built in 1911. The first owner was a carpenter who is said to have murdered his wife inside the main house. It was purchased in 1926 by a family that traces its roots to Eastby Abbey in 12th century Yorkshire, England. They crossed over to America in 1683 aboard the Welcome with William Penn, and that counts among its descendants three, at least three that we know of, signers of the Declaration of Independence. Balleroy housed many antique pieces that were handed down by famous historical people, including Napoleon of France, U.S. General George Meade, Thomas Jefferson, and others. After the Easbys moved into this large and spacious estate in 1926, George Meade Easby and his younger brother, May Stevenson Easby Jr., 1920 to 1931, 
were playing one day in the courtyard of the mansion and laughing at their reflections in the main courtyard fountain. But when they were laughing at their reflections, Stephen's reflection turned into a skull, while George's reflection stayed normal. Stephen died in 1931 from some sort of undetermined childhood disease. This had greatly devastated George and his parents, but they continued to live in the mansion for the rest of their lives. They, along with their housekeepers and visitors, have experienced many, many hauntings throughout the years. At least four deaths have been blamed on the cursed 200-year-old blue upholstered wing chair in the Blue Room of this Chestnut Hill mansion. The Blue Room is where the ghost known as Amelia haunts. A chair in the room belongs to her, and, well, she does not like anyone to sit in it. Anyone who sits in the chair belonging to the ghost named Amelia dies soon afterward. A cold ectoplasm mist has been seen hanging in the doorway from the reception room into the blue room. Another nasty ghost, that of an elderly lady with a cane, has been reported hovering in a corner in the second floor hallway. Friendlier spirits include Thomas Jefferson, seen near a tall clock in the dining room, and the figure of a monk in the second floor master bath bedroom. Ghostly presences have also materialized at seances in this mansion, which contains possessions belonging to Civil War General George Meade and, of course, Napoleon Bonaparte. Balleroy is the ancestral home of 76-year-old George Meade Easby, known to his friends as Meade. He's a millionaire philanthropist and a fine art collector. Meade has dedicated his life to preserving the treasures of Balleroy. Every room tells an important story of American history. In the Blue Room, there is the sterling silver that was used at the celebratory dinner attended by the signers of the Declaration of Independence. The cannonball that felled his great-grandfather, General George Meade, at the Battle of Gettysburg has a place of honor in the Red Room. And in every room, there are ghosts. For the past 70 years, nearly everyone who has come to Balleroy has been haunted by the past. Meade knew this place was special from the moment he arrived. He vividly remembers the day that his family moved in. He was six, his younger brother Stephen was five. The boys were immediately drawn to a splendid fountain in the courtyard. They leaned, leaned over the edge and Meade saw his own reflection in the clear water. He turned to look at Stephen's reflection, but instead of the image of his younger brother, he saw that skeleton. And he even recalls that it shook him up quite a bit. We saw a skeleton where his image should have been, and shortly after that, Stephen died. Since his death, Stephen has returned to haunt others at Belleroy. David Belts, a restoration specialist, has worked for 20 years to preserve the historic home. He and a co-worker saw Stephen appear in an upstairs window while they were working near the courtyard fountain. He stated, I noticed a person looking out the window at me, a young kid with blonde hair. He had his hands on the sill and was looking down toward the yard. I said to my buddy, hey, look at that little kid. Then it just faded away. And my buddy said, was that really strange? Belts's co-worker never worked at Balleroy again. He would never come back because he was really scared. He had just felt that somebody stared at him the entire time. David Belts' son, 
Dave Jr., still works at Balleroy, but never in the basement. The last time he was down there, he heard a ghostly voice calling his name. Dave. Dave. Dave, it repeated. Dave Jr. called upon his father and said, Dad, is that you? And it wasn't, because his dad was working on the third floor. Meade believes that his brother is not trying to frighten anybody, but that, like the child that he was at the time of his death, Stephen just wants a little attention every now and then. And that's how Meade explains the flying portrait incident. Meade was entertaining guests on the terrace when they heard a loud crash coming from the gallery. No one was inside the house at the time. The party went to investigate and found a portrait of Stephen lying on the floor. The painting had apparently come off the wall and flown 15 feet across the hall. The nail was still tight in the wall, the wire was tight on the painting, and there is just no way to explain how that could happen. But it did. And flying objects are nothing new to Balleroy. Meade recalls a party given in honor of a visiting minister several years ago. In the presence of more than 20 witnesses, a decorative copper pot flew across the room and hit the minister on the side of his head. Needless to say, the minister never returned. I'm guessing he must have sat in the wrong chair. <laughs> Stephen's apparition and his mischievous activity is only a small part of the hauntings at Balleroy. The ghost of Meade's uncle is ever-present. His mother is seen and heard. There are loud footsteps, persistent knocking, and strange encounters in the night. And one note, one night, Meade stated, he was alone in the house, asleep. He felt a pressure on the bed as though somebody was sitting down there. He thought somebody had broken in despite the elaborate alarm system that the home has. He felt something grab his arm, and he turned on the light, and nothing was there. But in the morning, he noticed that his arm was black and blue and confirmed that it wasn't a dream, that it had actually happened. Meade's longtime confident and fellow collector, Lloyd Gross, was skeptical about his friend's tales of the haunted Balleroy, well, until he experienced the phenomena firsthand. It was while guiding a reporter through the house that Gross, well, became a believer. It happened upstairs in the East Room, in Mrs. Easby's old bedroom. The reporter had a little tape recorder in his hand, and suddenly the thing flew in the air in a trajectory, not straight down to the floor. Gross said, Wow, did you burn yourself, he said. And, no, something pulled it out of my hand. He got so white that, well, they had to take him out, of the, out on the terrace and, well, give him a shot of whiskey. Although none of the ghosts of Balleroy have ever been captured on film, there is photographic evidence of one inexplicable haunting phenomena. It takes the form of a strange blue fog. Lloyd Gross saw the fog while he was helping prepare the house for a charity benefit. He stated he looked through the blue room doors and saw what looked like blue smoke. He said to Meade, look, it's getting cold out. You can see the atmosphere. And Meade said, well, oh no, that's not fog. That's ectoplasm. Lloyd Gross was sufficiently unnerved and said, well, that pretty much scared him. And... Meade followed him out to the car and said, Why did you hit me? And Meade said, Well, I didn't hit you. I'm way over here. So, well, that was pretty sure they knew something was following them. 
Apparently something was, because when Lloyd Gross got home that night, he thought that his foyer was on fire. Then he realized that the ectoplasm he had seen at Belleroy, well, had followed him home for a visit. Three pictures of the bizarre blue fog have been captured on film. It remains one of Belleroy's most persistent phenomena. The appearance of the fog seems to foretell a visit from the malevolent spirit Mead calls Amanda. She's not a relative, and the reason why she haunts Balleroy, well, it isn't really known. What is known, however, is that where Amanda goes, well, death will surely follow. For many, many years, a chair in Mead's study has been dubbed the Death Chair. According to him, several people have been drawn to that chair by Amanda. She appears in the blue room and entices them to rest in the chair. Everyone who's seen Amanda and sat in the chair, well, has died. And one victim was Balleroy's former curator. Paul Kimmons had worked at Balleroy for several years and had never experienced any haunting activity. He humored Mead and the other guests who had seen ghosts in the house. When Easby asked Kimmons to escort psychic Judith Richardson Hames on a tour, he obliged, but was quick to let her know that he was not a believer. Moments later, Amanda appeared, flowing down the staircase, and Judith, Judith recalls, Paul was quite frightened. He said, I see that woman, she's here, and he became very upset. A few weeks later, Judith received a chilling phone call, and Kimmins said to her, I'm not a hysterical person, but Amanda is following me. I look in my rearview mirror, and she's there. I wake up at home, she's there. I'm walking down the street and I catch a glimpse of her out of the corner of my eye. And truthfully, she's scaring me to death. I think I'm losing my mind. And unfortunately, the encounters took their toll. Paul Kimmins sat in the chair in Mead's study to rest. And a month later, he was dead. Since then, Judith Richardson Hames has been a frequent visitor to Balleroy. She believes that her psychic powers enables her to communicate with many of the spirits, both good and bad, inside the home. She states she'll never forget the first time that she walked in the front doors of Balleroy. The first words out of her mouth were, My God, I can't believe how many spirits are in this house. Judith believes that Amanda isn't malevolent. There are those who say Amanda killed Paul. Judith says, I don't believe that that was true at all. I believe that Amanda was there to lovingly help him cross over. Several times I have sensed Paul at Belleroy, and I've sensed that wonderful warm energy that he emitted. Judith has also had several successful communications with the spirit of Mead's long-dead mother. In life, Henrietta Esby was prim and reserved, a Victorian lady of few words. In death, well, she is much the same. Her appearances are subtle and infrequent, but when she does make her presence known, it's for a reason. Through Judith, Mead's mother has revealed many family secrets. She states, One evening on my way to Balleroy, I kept hearing the name Longfellow. When Judith arrived at the house for dinner, the echoes of Longfellow persisted. Then she heard Henrietta Easby's voice saying, Children's hour, children's hour. Judith asked Mead what he thought it meant, and he was stunned. The Children's Hour by Henry Wordsworth Longfellow was his mother's favorite poem. No one but him would have known that. Later that night, retiring to the study, Mead's mother again made her presence known. 
The study is lined with books from floor to ceiling, all neatly arranged in oak bookcases. But on this night, one book was mysteriously out of place. It was sticking out, almost ready to fall. Meade went to push the book back into place. It was a book of poetry. He took it down from the shelf and noticed an envelope inside. Turning to that page, he felt a chill run through his body. The envelope said, To my son Meade in the event of my death. The poem on that page was The Children's Hour by Longfellow. The envelope was empty. From that point forward, Miss Judith Richardson Hames says, it seemed as though Meade's mother wanted to use me to get messages to him. In a, ne- in a neglected storeroom, Judith discovered a pair of sin- silver candlesticks hidden in the rafters by Meade's mother. In an early American desk, the spirit led Judith to a secret drawer. Inside, they found the bullet-riddled flag that General Meade had captured at Gettysburg. It was as if Meade's mother couldn't rest until she had rese- revealed the secret hiding places of forgotten family treasures. Henrietta Esby also led Judith to an abandoned trunk in Balleroy's attic. Inside, Meade found important family papers, including a very strange promissory note that seemed to indicate that he was the heir to a vast unclaimed fortune. He stated, My great-grandfather was born in the Bonaparte Palace in Cadiz. His father was naval naval attaché to the court of Spain and loaned the Americans the money to buy the state of Florida from Spain. According to that note, well, they've never been paid back. Now, whether or not George G. Meade Easby can claim the state of Florida as part of his multi-million dollar holdings, well, it isn't the point. He feels it is the mere fact that his mother wanted him to know about this secret legacy that's important to him. What Meade's mother could not say to her son in life, she's revealing to him in death. And according to Judith, she feels that she's being used as the instrument to allow mother and son to communicate so that everyone knows that death is not really the end. Death is just a continuation of life. In her most recent communications, Henrietta Easby led her son to an old desk, in one of his one of the drawers, Meade found a letter from his father, M. Stevenson Easby, had always told his son to believe in the here and now. He had never admitted seeing the ghost of Balleroy, and he'd taught Meade to only trust what science could explain. But in the, the letter written just before his death, Meade's father told a different story. I was brought up not to believe in ghosts, Meade says, But my father left me a letter to read after his death, and he said that he'd seen the ghost and for me not to be afraid. And I think Meade took those words to heart. He relished the ghosts of Balleroy and knows that when his time comes, he too will return to greet the next generation. And perhaps now, George Easby has joined the many spirits that still call Balleroy their home. And with that, my darlings, we've come to the end of our episode. I thank you for joining me today, and I hope that you will take some time to reach out to me, like Dave did, and share your thoughts on what you think. You can always reach the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for a future show, or you just want to tell me what you think, drop me a line. I reply to every email. 
And on that note, my darlings, that's all the time I have for today. So thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And don't forget to tune in next time, my heathens. I love you. Mwah! We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.